Congratulations, you've been promoted. Time to lead your team, your business, or maybe a project. Yet once the excitement wears off, you feel alone, or maybe a bit lost. And you say to yourself, now what? Now what do I do? Well, don't worry, stay right here, because we're here to help. My name is Glenn Passion, a CEO of multiple companies. I have taught and trained hundreds of leaders a structured way to build successful teams. Each week, I share inspiring conversations with successful leaders who will discuss their own journey, along with sharing practical tips and strategies to help you become the leader that you want to be. Welcome to You're in Charge, Now What? Let's get started. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of You're in Charge, Now What? I'm your host, Glenn Pash. And each week we gather to have discussions, uh, talk about different topics in order to help you become the leader that you would like to be for both yourself, your team, and your company. And this week I want to discuss a question that is always discussed at the end of every year. Every company has this conversation. And I wanted to help you, especially my clients, uh, those especially in automotive, to look at this question, but I want to change how you view this. And so those of you who are in charge of having this conversation or making decisions around this topic, I want to arm you with a different way to look at it because it shouldn't just be the way you look at this topic at, at this time, meaning at the end of the month, I think this strategy is going to help you in the next year and years to come to look at your marketing, your sales, or any process with performance through a much more strategic and efficient eye. Okay. All right. Great. Okay. So for my automotive clients, the reason why this is important is the last few years have been very good for automotive. And now looking into the new year, there are some things where people are discussing changes in their business. Not, not that it's it's changing uh, horribly, but now that there's more inventory, there are more choices, which means that customers are thinking about things and debating about buying a car. Uh, rates are a little bit higher. So the business environment is changing a little bit. And so the question that that is on everyone's mind is, should I increase marketing? Should I decrease marketing? Um, how, do, how does that affect my sales or sales team? What should I be looking at in terms of performance? Has that? So everyone's looking at metrics. My challenge to you is understanding why I'm asking you to look at metrics this way, because as, as I said, it's going to help you become more efficient. So as this applies to marketing and as it applies to sales, I think the analogy that is often tossed around is misleading on how we should look at our customer journey. You've all heard of the word, the marketing funnel or the sales funnel. And while that's a very lovely and nice image, I think it's completely the wrong image to be using. Because if you think about the purpose of a funnel, the funnel is to drive everything that you pour into the top out the bottom. There is no 
stoppages along the way. Think if you're putting oil in your car or if you're dumping olive oil from a larger container into a smaller container if you're cooking. You're using the funnel because you want everything to pass through. But I don't think that's right because that's not what happens in sales. That's not what happens in marketing. And yes, sometimes on PowerPoint, you'll see these broken up, chopped up funnels, but that's really not a funnel. And so I want everyone to start thinking about this in terms of strainers or what I, I like to use the word sieves, a series of sieves that have larger openings going all the way down to the smaller openings. Because when I pour something in the top, some things are going to get caught along the way. The problem with the funnel analogy, again, is many people look at just what goes in the top and what comes out the bottom, and they make decisions on that without taking the time to really look through all of the steps. Now, maybe sometimes you may look at things in, in you know, those steps in, in sales. Maybe sometimes you look at marketing, but I really think if you're looking to the future and saying, I have to get more out of my marketing or it's maybe I need to get more out of my team, you really have to understand how these series of sieves work in order to maximize performance because not everything that goes in is coming out. Yes, that funnel, right, in our initial analogy guides everyone, but the same with the sieves. Gravity will pull everybody down. The openings will move people from one level to the other. You need to understand each of these levels because then you can take one level and say, wait a minute, if, if we had this many people fall from the top and they got stuck at this level, now I can just look at that one level or sieve to say, what do I have to do in order to make this more efficient? How can I get more people to flow down further, drop in more, even if I increase it a little bit? Not everyone is going to fall through to the bottom. That's the fallacy of the funnel. Not everyone will get to the bottom. So it's up to you to be able to say, well, if they get stuck here, what can I do? Maybe move them into a different set of sieves. Or if I adjust something on here, maybe more of them will fall through. So we'll get to that. I'll explain uh, what I mean uh, from going. Now, before I jump into this story, that's going to explain a lot of this. I know some of you are sitting here going, Glenn, that's obvious. It's obvious we know about this. We 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 get where you're going, and I understand this. And 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 I think we do a good job of looking at this. Well, I will challenge you. Because when I consult for companies and they ask me to look at uh, their metrics, they are focusing on the bookends, what went in and what came out, and they're making decisions on that. So let me let me uh, explain through a story, my life, of why I think this sieve concept is so important. So during my college summers, I worked with my father. He was a civil engineer and he worked for a company in New Jersey called Weldon Materials. Weldon Materials is one of the largest suppliers of asphalt and concrete to construction firms. So they were the ones that built and made that blacktop that you see on the highways. We've all seen those big trucks on the highway. We've all been moved over to one side or the other while they're fixing a road. Well, my father designed all of those mixes. Because when you're building a road, different layers, as they're building that road from the bottom to the top, different layers of that asphalt have different mixtures. So maybe the base layer, when you're laying it on top of the, uh, on the ground, 
has larger stone because that has to be the base and support. And as you move up each one of those mixes or layers, the mixture of large to medium to small to sand changes till we get to the very top where maybe more of it is sandy or smaller rocks because we want it to be smooth when we're riding on it. That makes sense. Well, my job during the summer was I worked in the lab in the um, uh, quality control department and I would uh, have to go out every day. Now, remember the size of those trucks. I'd have to climb up to the top of it over the edge. I'd have to go get a shovel in my bucket and take a sample of that material, come back down into the lab, take a sample of that sample, weigh it, put it into a centrifuge, dump some sort of chemical <laughs> on top of this mixture, turn on the centrifuge, and that chemical basically would dissolve the sticky asphalt, the black. And all I would be left was with this mixture of sand and stone. And after I dried it and treated it, I would then weigh it. And then I would put it through a series of sieves uh, with different opening sizes or from larger down to the bottom and would put on a machine that shook it for a while to make sure everything was settled through. Then I would take each of those individual sieves, weigh them, and then I would calculate percentages of what each sieve was to the total. And then I would compare it to what was acceptable or what were the metrics or the levels that they were looking for at each of these levels. And if they fell within those uh, parameters, was a good mix. If it wasn't, then I have to test another one. And we wanted to make sure that this batch or this day's worth of materials was acceptable. So that's what I would do. Now, another way to look at this, because some people would say, well, I'm a little confused with the construction. Think of taking a cake. Think of something that you baked, whatever it was. But take a cake. And what if you went backwards and deconstructed that cake to make sure that you put in the right amount of flour, sugar, vanilla, eggs, water, whatever you're putting into it? That's what my job was. And so when I started thinking about this, it dawned on me as I was working with one of my consulting clients, I told that story when we were trying to get everyone to understand how to look at all the stages of the metrics, and it clicked. So I thought, well, if it clicked for them, of course, I tried it on another one of my clients and it clicked for them. And I thought, OK, this analogy seems to work because when you think of the funnel, as they all thought of the funnel, their questions always were, why doesn't everyone come out the bottom? There must be something wrong with what's going in top. And I said, no, it's in between. And so we want to manage the metrics that we're given, but we need to know what those are, what those acceptable ranges are. Okay. So the reason again, why we want to do this. So as you're moving into, uh, let's say we're looking at our marketing, do I increase or decrease? Well, before you make those decisions, you want to look at your marketing and you say, is it working? What am I getting? So again, taking the analogy of this asphalt or this cake, what if you're running a marketing campaign and you're running an ad now, in last week's episode, we talked about the six most important words that a leader needs to use on an ongoing basis. And it was who, what, where, when, why, and how, because we need to understand what to expect. So same thing. We've asked those questions about this marketing campaign. What is it for? Where are we going to be posting this? How often are we going to do it? What are we trying to accomplish? What type of things should we expect? You know, what are the outcomes? 
So once we push this out, now, as people are coming and responding to the ad, the ad went out. As they're interacting, they're going into this series of sieves. How many people saw the ad? Might be the first sieve. And then how many people interacted with the ad or clicked on the ad? And if they clicked on the ad and they came to the website, what did they do? If they were on a page and there was a call to action, how many people clicked the button? And then if it popped up a form, how many people filled out the form. And now once we have those names, now we move them over into our sales stack and we put them into the top and then our team reaches out and then how many people interacted, how many people had conversations and maybe set appointments, how many showed up and how many sold. But then we have to look at all of these middle sieves to see how we can improve. If I just look at how many people saw the ad to how many people gave me their name. If I just look at those two metrics, I can misjudge potentially having a successful campaign because the only thing I'm looking at is the output, the throughput versus looking at it and saying, well, we got this many people to engage with it. And then this many people to click the button. That's a big chunk. Is there something we can do to that ad that encourages more people to click the button. And that's where all of the testing, and again, I can hear the marketers going, Glenn, I know that this is what we do. I'm going to the leaders in the business, in the dealership, in the businesses to encourage testing, encourage asking these questions to say how many people got stuck? How many people actually got to the website? How many people clicked the button? What's that delta? You've heard me talk about this before. What is that delta between someone? How many people click the button? How many people ended up submitting a form. Now I've seen data and, and I've done tests and I've done research myself. And the data that I saw is about right. There's about a 15%, maybe 20% throughput from click to form. So if I'm losing 80%, when I look at that call to action and I click that button, I'm expecting something as a consumer and a form pops up and I go, no. Well, now we can have that conversation to say, well, Maybe am I asking for both phone number and email? Am I asking for things? Can I only get with one? If I only, if I changed it to just having one of the two instead of both being required, do I get more throughput? Maybe we do. We test it. Maybe I don't pop up a form. Maybe I pop up a chat. Does that get me more engagements, more conversations, ultimately moving more people down through the sieves to get a name to be able to put more people into my sales stack? And when we look at the sales stack, the exact same thing. If I put a hundred names in here, how many people actually came in and bought from me? So we want to make sure that all of this is justified. Now I'll give you another example of where this can affect at times. I've had conversations with some of my clients a dealer clients who will say, well, that tool on my website works. Okay, great. I start doing inspections and I ask, well, what are what's the criteria for it working? And sometimes it, well, it cost X, but I sold this many cars and I made three X, so it works. But when I went back and looked at it and I said, well, let's look at how many people went in into the sales stack from that tool. And they had something like, 
can't remember if it was, you know, 50 of those 50 names went through and they said, look, we got 50 names. That's great. And look, we sold five. That's great. And again, we made this much and it cost that much. We're winners. I went up an extra level. I went up and said, well, wait a minute. How many people clicked the button to start that process and found out that close to 800 people clicked that button, but only 50 people gave you their name? You missed 750 people got stuck in that sieve. That's where our focus should be. What can we do to get more of those people to come through? And they investigated and they saw some hiccups in the tool or maybe some questions that they didn't really want to ask. And by having that conversation with the piece of technology and their team, they changed some of it and more people started to flow through. Not everybody, not all 800, but more of them came through and they sold more with the same tool, with the same marketing. That's what I'm talking about, about being more efficient. It seems a lot of times with uh, conversations in sales stacks where they'll say, well, we had this many opportunities and we set this many appointments and this many showed and we sold. But again, I'm going to challenge you, even with that simple stack that a lot of people look at, we had, you know, again, if I said you had a hundred appointments and 50 of them showed up and 30 of them bought something, well, that still means 20 people didn't buy? What is your process? What is your analysis of how do we get more of them to buy, let alone how many more, right? We'd said a certain number, what was it? 50 people didn't show up. What are we doing to make that better? How do we improve that process to get more people, let alone how many people did we set appointments for out of the total? As you can see, all of these sieves can be applied to individuals' performances, teams' performances, your sales, your marketing, all of it. And the reason why I'm stressing on this is because the conversations are happening about, should we increase marketing? What should we do with our teams? Let alone customer retention. I think customer retention is often overlooked, especially in automotive, in, in, in the service lane to retain our clients. Same thing. I sell someone a vehicle, they now go into my stack of sieves for marketing for service. And how many people are, again, are reacting to the ad and coming through and scheduling service and how many show up and how many don't show up and how many are buying and how many are pushing services or declining services out. All of these are based on metrics and processes. It's not a funnel where everything goes through. So, Again, it's it's really important for everyone to think about this. It's really important that everyone is embracing metrics, all of those stacks. And now I know, I know what's coming next. Glenn, I don't have time. Well, everyone needs someone in their business that looks at this. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm not looking for a data scientist I'm not looking for someone who's just going to create more reports and talk data where everyone just goes, great, another person to confuse me with data. I'm talking about someone who understands the data, understands those sieves to be able to have those conversations, very simple conversations with your marketing agency. How many people were here? How many people were here? How do we get more to come through? What can we test? 
when we're on our website, having conversations with the website provider, how many people clicked that button and how many people filled out the form? How many people engaged with chat? How many conversations did we have? How can we get more out of that? We don't have to change, just need to understand, meaning change the website. I just need to know how to get more out of it. And then in our sales process, be it our internet sales, our face-to-face -face sales, our phone sales, we have a certain number of those opportunities. How many are we having conversations with and moving through the phases? And as people are getting caught in the phases, what percentage of people are getting caught in there? And then that individual has conversations with the teams and the team leaders to say, here's where people are getting caught. I think you should focus on that to see how you can improve. Notice I'm not trying to come up with solutions. I'm bringing numbers, but I'm talking in practical terms that someone who's receiving this information goes, oh, I understand where that is. Okay, I'll look at that. And then let me know if it gets better. I change some things. And then that's really what that data person has to be. If you're just gonna have another analyst, uh, analyst that's just gonna create more reports that no one's going to read, that's not a good use of a salary. All right. So let's retire the term funnel for 2024 and beyond. And let's start talking about sieves, just like Weldon Materials, you know, they wanted to provide a great uh, product, but you know, they had to have all of those metrics to know if this mix in the product was right. Let's learn from that. Let's, let's take that and embrace that in our, in our thought process for the year coming and let's make sure that we start talking about sieves and analyzing all of this or do we have the right mix do we have the right flow how do we get better at each stage because that will help you become more efficient so then you don't really have to decide do i cut back marketing just with a broad brush now i can start reallocating moving money around to be more efficient because now I can look at lead providers. I can look at different agency services. I can look at sales, salespeople, products, technology, all through a much more thoughtful manner versus broad brush. But more importantly, you know how to see how you can improve it before you even make the decision to get rid of something. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that, um, made sense and i hope that was something that was beneficial and i look forward to uh seeing you on the next episode uh we have one more episode for uh this season and then we're going to take a break for a couple weeks as we film some new we might have a new look back here i think you're tired of seeing my books for those of you who are watching the show uh but we're going to do that and we're coming uh, into this next year with a lot of conversations just like this. The audience has been asking for more one-on-one, -on -one, practical, tactical. So that's what we're going to do because that's what you're asking for. So as always, I thank you so much. I appreciate all of the support this year. I thank all the guests that have been on here. I really do appreciate it. I know there's so many places that you can uh, spend time consuming content, but the fact that you spend time with me means the world to me. It really, really does. Uh, uh, my goal is always here to serve and to help you. I thank you again. I look forward to seeing you on the next.